Hey everybody, today on the Multiply Podcast, we're talking to Heath Adamson about dangerous leadership trends. Check it out. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're so glad that you're with us or back with us. And uh, exciting day today. We've got a we've got a great friend of both mm-hmm. of ours on the podcast, Dave. Yeah, we are. Uh, it's going to be a real treat for our listeners today. We have our friend Heath Adamson with us, and uh, Heath. Uh, Heath and I first connected through our roles with youth ministry in the Assemblies of God. Heath was serving at the national level, really as a director of over youth ministries for the USA Assemblies of God. I was serving here in New York State in, uh, as a director of youth ministries for the Assemblies of God, which is the role you currently serve in. And um, I'll never forget the first time I heard Heath speak. It was at a uh, DYD, which stands for District Youth Director, um, conference in Branson, Missouri. For some reason we were they scheduled this thing in Branson in February every year, which is like <laughs> the worst. Branson is like the Disneyland of the Midwest. Yeah. It except is. in February it's like the closed Disneyland of the Midwest. <laughs> um and uh I just from the very first time I heard Heath speak, I thought this is a guy that I want to connect with and learn from and uh, I consider it a true gift from God to have really journeyed with Heath through some seasons of life. And he's a good friend of mine, a good friend of yours. Uh, Heath, thank you for being on the Multiply podcast. I know that you now serve a great organization uh, called Convoy of Hope. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar, familiar with Convoy. And uh, would you just uh, introduce yourself and tell us about your family and just a little bit about what you are currently doing in the kingdom as it relates to your role at Convoy? Yeah. David, uh, Jared, thank you. It's an honor to be with you. Um, A little bit about me. So um, the best part of my life is my family. I've been married to Allie for almost 21 years now, and uh, we're stepping into a new season as parents. Our oldest daughter, Layton, is uh, now 18. I just had to pause. She turned 18 yesterday, and uh, she will start university uh, in January. So that's a fun adventure for us. And then our youngest, We'll finish high school in January uh, simply because we home educate and we're working, we're working at a ra- an expedited pace. So, and um, you know, I'm thankful for God's hand on my family. Uh, uh, sometimes in in life and ministry, we become so busy we forget what really matters. And to everyone who's listening, I just want to encourage you to pause and make sure uh, that uh, your family is your priority. And if you're single. Um, Take this as a great reminder to begin praying now for whatever God would have for you in your future, if it includes family. As far as Convoy of Hope, been the chief of staff here for almost 10 months, and the bulk of my responsibilities include just working with our CEO, CBO, COO, and um, invest most of my time into our international program and oversee a lot of those activities. And if people want to know more about Convoy of Hope, they can obviously just Google Convoy of Hope. But what's the actual website? Is it convoyofhope.org or? Yes, .org, convoyofhope.org. And um, and um, just on a side note, another website would be feedone.org. I lead Feed One. Feed One is an initiative of Convoy of Hope. Currently, we're feeding approximately 193 children around the world uh, thanks to Feed One's help. And um, our goal by 2025 is to see that number 
uh, dramatically increase. So feedone.org and convoyofhope.org. Awesome. Convoy is a great organization and encourage you to be involved and a part and support them. Uh, Heath, you've led and been a leader in many different venues at a state level, at a national level, and, uh, and really even now as, at a worldwide level in what you're doing with Convoy. And so um, you're a great voice to talk about leadership. And as we were getting ready for this podcast, one of the things that you shared with us is some trends that are happening in leadership that we need to be careful about. So today we want to talk a little bit about that. What are the trends you're seeing in leadership that we should pause, that we should we need to be careful about uh, today? Give us some insight. Okay. Yeah, uh, just from my experience, Jared and David, and again, I don't claim to know everything, but just from my experience, um, the, the primary roles I currently serve in as a leader will inform what I say. First, I do serve at Convoy of Hope. Secondly, uh, I just arrived back from Spain. I'm the global chairman for the World Assemblies of God Next Gen. So the World Assemblies of God is approximately 360,000 churches, and I work closely with our general superintendents uh, and national youth directors around the world to cultivate strategy and um, uh, make sure that it thrives in community. So uh, my perspective is coming from those two vantage points. I would say the first trend that I'm deeply concerned about, and then I'll share a few trends that I'm excited about. A few concerns would be first, um, sometimes that we we forget the sovereignty of God and leadership. Uh, there are currently over 9,000 definitions, systems, pedagogies, and philosophies that I can find in the literature when it comes to leadership. I'm wrapping up my PhD work. Just finished reading 833 books and academic journals in the last few years, and part of my research was on leadership and organizational change. So a lot of this is fresh in my mind. And a trend I've noticed in the church is you can sit down in a meeting, uh, you can create strategic initiatives and implement leadership principles, and if we're not careful, we will become successful at what in eternity does not even matter. If we're not careful, leadership will replace lordship, and I know that sounds trite. I don't mean it that way, but it's imperative to remember hallmark verses like Proverbs 21, verse 1. It says, the king's hand is in the heart of the Lord, like the rivers of water it turns it wherever it chooses. Or you look at Daniel chapter 4, where it says God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men, and he gives them to whomever he chooses. First Chronicles 29 we're reminded that it is in God's hand to exalt and to push down and to make great. I want to be clear. We don't use God's sovereignty as an excuse to be lazy. We don't use God's sovereignty as an excuse uh, to not um, cultivate a strong work ethic. But at the end of the day, um, if all we do is lead well and we're not surrendered to the sovereignty and lordship of Christ, we're successful at what one day won't even matter. So that that would be a first concern. The second concern is this. There's a subtle shift right now in leadership theory. One, uh, there's a difference between transactional leadership and transformational leadership. Most of the, the books on organizational change and leadership change are focused on what's called transactional leadership. Now, transactional leadership focuses on dyadic exchange between leaders and followers. So, for example, a leader says, do this, a follower does it, and the leader pays the follower. That's an example of a dyadic exchange. 
when it comes to transformational leadership, however, transformational leadership is a little bit different. Transformational leadership emphasizes individual and organizational change, uh, and it goes much beyond compliance. It's intrinsically based. That means that transformational leadership is ultimately about cultivating the heart of a leader and a follower and that rather than leadership and followership being what we do in many ways it is who we are and what i've experienced when it comes especially in leadership in the faith sphere or the faith sector where oftentimes we can use god as the reason why we do things uh, it makes change difficult because when you change something, in essence, you're changing what God has said and what God has promised. And the book of the literature I can find when it comes to change is focused on transactional leadership. And I would just suggest that perhaps when it comes to creating change and cultivating change, one of the key mistakes we want to avoid making is sometimes we think that when God says something – that it's never supposed to change. Now, I understand that what I just said could easily be misunderstood, so let me unpack maybe what I mean. Uh, an example would be, and David, I've heard you preach on this. I heard you preach on the bronze serpent once. It was one of the most um, well-spoken talks I've ever heard anybody give on change. And I remember you made the statement. You made the statement that God instructed Moses to lift up the bronze serpent and then one day, uh, years later, he instructed King Hezekiah to destroy the bronze serpent. And what I would like to just suggest is this. There are times when God does put it on the heart of a leader to do something, to create a system, to embed a belief, uh, maybe to build uh, a structure. But there are also times where God at times gives permission for us to change what he decreed previously. And when it comes to transactional leadership, change is very difficult because when you change something with a transactional approach, it becomes a war between you and God. This is why a lot of churches struggle with change. When leadership is transformational in nature, we have permission because it has much more to do with who we are internally. We have permission to not only be a part of change, but also to be a recipient of change because we understand this about God. Even though Malachi is clear, God does not change. God, the one who does not change, has implemented the bulk of what he does in an ever-changing system. There is always going to be winter. There will always be uh, spring. There will always be summer. There will always be fall. And God negotiates change well, and I believe it's because God is a transformational leader, not necessarily a transactional leader. I'll share one more concern and then I'll pause. One final concern that I'm seeing when it comes to leadership trends would be this. Sometimes in leadership, we confuse um, charisma with um, manipulation. What do I mean? Charisma is a sociological term that describes the ethos. Uh, it describes the essence of a leader. It doesn't necessarily have to do with um, whether or not somebody is a magnanimous communicator and whether or not people gravitate towards him or her as a leader. Uh, certainly when we talk about someone being charismatic, it can mean that. But charisma from the sociological perspective, from an 
anthropological perspective, it really means whether or not somebody can create, produce, negotiate change, um, and an exchange between a leader and a follower, um, primarily because of who they are. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's the way God created them, because oftentimes leadership has less to do with who we were created to be, and in my opinion, much more to do with who we developed ourselves into. Uh, Charisma is different than manipulation. And a trend that I'm currently seeing is oftentimes in faith circles, especially, sometimes we blame God for things that God's not responsible for. Sometimes we, we put the onus on God, or when we make a mistake as a leader, Um, rather than admitting that we should have done it differently, we just say, oh, you know what? God has a plan. And I think one of the best things we can do as a leader is rather than using um, our charisma as an excuse to manipulate people when we maybe don't lead well, I think that uh, when Paul says this, um, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought, uh, I think it's important for us as leaders to remain humble and to admit when we make mistakes. And in my experience, one of the most attractive things to me in the life and the heart of a leader is when maybe a leader a leader does make a mistake, when maybe a leader does not do something with excellence. And rather than glossing it over and pretending like everything is fine and then saying, well, God will take care of it. We humble ourselves, we own it, we learn from it, and then in community, we move forward. Those are just some of the trends that I've seen recently in some meetings I've been a part of that I wanted to share with you. Wow. Well, um, it doesn't sound like you've been reading books like Hop on Pop and uh, <laughs> the stuff David's been reading. Yeah, I feel like we're reading I feel like we're, People Magazine. I feel like we're reading very different books and that you're actually reading books and I'm just scrolling through my Twitter feed. <laughs> hey, um, there's a lot there, and uh, I want to unpack it a little bit with you if we can. Um, I'm, um, first off, can we talk about the second one a little bit, um, the yeah. transactional leadership versus transformational leadership? I want to share a couple um, responses to what you said and then ask you a question. Um, first off, my gut reaction is that transactional leadership is a lot easier. Um, it requires a lot less work, and you don't actually have to know the people you're leading. Um, it's kind of a one-size-fits-all, extrinsic motivation approach. Is that Would that be a fair summary? Absolutely, and that's why most leaders are transactional, because it's easy. Okay. So, on the other hand, you have transformational leadership, which requires you to um, know the people that are on your team, but also know them in a way to understand like their inner motivation. And in a Christian organization, we kind of have a common ground, or at least we should have the common ground of appealing to uh, a life of worship that manifests itself in the quality of the work that we do and commitment to being a part of a team and accomplishing a larger mission. But uh, in sort of in other organizations, that common ground doesn't necessarily exist. And so uh, we're always trying to learn, and I use this term borrowed from a book by James K. Smith, what is, your, what is every person on your team, what is their vision of the good life? Um, and good. How, how do we understand um, really what is not just driving them, but what their, what their destination or desired destination is? And then how do we connect their vision of the good life with uh, the vision of the organization? And it can actually be manipulative if we don't genuinely care about the people. 
Um, and yes. if we don't actually believe that there is a connection that can serve the organization and help them grow and, and flourish and prosper. So those are some thoughts based on what you said. Here's my question. Um, moving from transactional to transformational as a leader, uh, how do we go about doing that? What are some things maybe we need to stop doing and start doing? Uh, what are some questions we need to invite other people to ask us about our leadership? Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So if I understand the question, moving from transactional to transformational, a few thoughts on how to do that effectively. Is that correct? Yeah. And maybe like what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a few thoughts. One, transformational leadership is phenomenological. Uh, what that means is it's really the full expression of an individual's interpersonal ethos. I mean, it's, it's a full expression of their heart, if I could say it that way. So at the end of the day, here, here's the deal. The, the reason why oftentimes we default to transactional leadership is because it is comfortable, because it is easy, and because oftentimes we are lazy. Um, one of the challenges we face as leaders is what produced success in one season, we assume will produce success in the next. And what we do know is that it's, it's not enough to understand the time and the season that we are in. It's also just as important, according to First Chronicles 12.32, to also understand what to do. Because what's necessary in one season may be unnecessary in the next. So a few thoughts in moving from being a transactional to a transformational leader, um, I would say is this. Uh, a transformational leader propels others to engage um, and that's found in the literature. If you want to research, there's an author named Moxley who talks about that. And again, I'm just talk, talking off the top of my head. But you propel somebody else to engage. In, in transactional leadership, oftentimes we thrive in isolation and we have the appearance that people are in community with us. And really all they are is in, is in compliance. A transactional leadership can lead. And the primary commodity or form of currency, if we're not careful, is fear. In transformational leadership, it forces a leader to admit that they don't know everything. Some of the language I like to use is based in the story when David wanted to build a house for God. I think it is a story we're all familiar with. Certainly don't have time to unpack it. But what we do know is this. David had in his heart to build this house for God. And we know in the text that God actually says to David elsewhere, hey, David, I want to build you a house. I love that. We learn about God's nature but David had in his heart to build an edifice for God. Um, and we know that eventually Solomon would be the one credited with building that, that house, that temple. What we do know, however, is before David stepped into eternity, the Bible's clear. And it says this, and I quote, David made extensive preparations before his death. What did he do? He raised the money. He, he amassed the products. He trained the workers. He, he did everything he could to make sure that Solomon's name would be on the temple. I'm being facetious, but you know what I mean. I guess to me, a transformational leader understands it's not our story. And that means we are willing to do things that other people receive the credit for. That means that we, we pay close attention to make sure we do not confuse our goals with God's will and with God's purpose. It means that we recognize that insecurity can be incredibly dangerous when it is found in the heart of a leader. It means that we understand that in an age of cynicism, sometimes we need to be okay when other people are celebrated and we as the leader are forgotten. 
It means that we make sure that we do not use our platform to communicate as a leader who we want other people to perceive us to be, but instead we allow who we truly are to come out. And oftentimes who we truly are comes out in community when we come alongside other people and we cross the finish line together. I'm reminded really quick of a story. I remember there was a race a few years ago that took place. And actually, I'm going to include the story in a book that's coming out in 2020. But I was reminded of a race where um, all of the participants in the race would be considered to have, and I don't like to call it this, but I don't know what else to say. I think everybody would would understand. They had uh, physical challenges or, or special challenges, special needs. Uh, many of them were not physically handicapped. Uh, some were mentally handicapped. Um, but it was a race at, at maybe the, the Special Olympics, if I could say it that way. And when the race began, everybody ran around the track. Some people ran faster than others. Uh, some people ended up running in zigzag patterns. Some stayed in their lane. Some didn't. Um, and as an individual was about to cross the finish line, they were going to win the race. The individual looked to their left and they realized that one of the other runners had fallen down. And so, but rather than crossing the finish line, the individual realized that there's something more important than finishing. First, there's something more important than, than accomplishing the goal. And that individual stopped rather than crossing the finish line, ran across the middle of the track field, the grass, um, and went over and scooped up a fellow runner, put their arm around their neck, and together they crossed the finish line and dead last. I think we would all agree that that person who did not win the gold medal that day actually won the race. And it's because that runner understood something that would probably do well for every leader to understand that it's not necessarily about meeting the goal in leadership. It's not necessarily about finishing the task. It's also about what we accomplish together. It's about what God wants to cultivate in the heart of those we have the privilege as leaders to serve. Um, and it's ultimately about linking arms shoulder to shoulder, sometimes neck to neck and crossing the finish line together. And to me, that's different than consensus. Consensus is very different than community. And it's a great picture of what community in leadership really looks like. And if we're going to be transformational leaders, we have to be willing to cross the finish line together, even if that means we don't receive all of the credit. Keith, that's so good. And I was thinking as you were sharing about that connection between being a transformational leader and your first point, which was talking about the sovereignty of God. And I'm just wondering, it seems to me that there's a strong connection between our ability to trust in the sovereignty of God and to not have to manufacture our own um, scenarios in our life that we think need to happen. There's such a connection between trusting the sovereignty of God and being a transformational leader. Have you seen that to be true in your experience and your leadership? Um, and if so, what are some helpful uh, things to remind our hearts of that? Yeah, I would. So to me, everything comes down to the sovereignty of God uh, when it comes to this. Um, you know, do, do we have the ability to choose? You know, we'll we'll leave that up to the Calvinists and the Armenians. I'm not smart enough to figure all that out. What I do know is. We have the ability to make choices. If I go to Burger King today or McDonald's today, I'm making that decision. Um, however, I also know that the Bible is emphatic that it is in the Lord's hand to make great. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I'm a firm believer um, that what the Word of God says 
even if it doesn't always seem to make sense, even if it's mysterious, even if we don't fully understand how it plays out, we must go back to the text. And rather than inferring and presuming upon the text, we have to allow the text to speak plainly and clearly, uh, even if we don't necessarily feel or think that it always makes sense. We can't always believe everything we think, and we can't always believe everything we feel. We know that because Scripture is clear, the heart is deceitful above all. What I do know is this, that God is who he says he is, and God can lead a Fortune 500 uh, company much better than any CEO. God can pastor a church much more effectively than any pastor. God can certainly lead an NGO much more effectively than any human being can. But there's something about God's nature, the sovereign one, that I've come to deeply appreciate, and I think we need to remember. God does not like to do things alone. And the Bible tells us that we co-labor with Christ. We, we are co-heirs in his kingdom. We are Christ's ambassadors. We spend time with our king. We, we hear his voice. We gaze into his eyes close enough to see a true reflection of who we really are and who he really is. And we represent his heart to the world, to those that we serve. Um, if it wasn't for God, we would not have air to breathe. If it wasn't for God, uh, his grace and his mercy would not have empowered us today to do the very things we do. In many ways, each one of us plagiarize from God hour after hour, day after day, because every word we speak, everything we do ultimately is traced back to the fact that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whomever he chooses. That does not mean we are robots. What it does mean is we have an incredible opportunity and an even greater responsibility to make sure that we steward well the opportunities that God has placed in front of us, because ultimately they are not ours. They are his. This is not his story. And we have the divine privilege of writing the next chapter, co-writing the next chapter in God's story with him. And if there's ever been a reason to pause before a leadership decision is made, if there's ever been a reason to pause before we stand up and communicate one more time, if there's ever been a reason to pause and humble ourselves before the mighty one, it's the sovereignty of God. To me, everything is traced back to the fact that through him, by him, all things consist according to Colossians 1. I love that. I love the the peace that it brings, trusting in God's sovereignty and knowing that you can lift others up, you can pour your life into, you can trust that he has your best uh, your best. Um, life and goals and needs in mind and god knows what he's doing and um hey we're out of time heath but uh, before we go we've got really uh two more things we want to touch on the first one is we know that you have actually by the time this airs your book will be out you have a book uh that is being released called grace in the valley yes and um we'd love for you where can where can people find that i know i'm looking right now on amazon and i, pre- I pre-ordered it got it ready to oh thank me. you yeah thank you <laughs> Yep. Yeah, they can. Um, it's it's it should be everywhere books are sold. Um, I'm honored to partner with Baker Publishing, Baker Books, and so for other information, go to heathadamson.com. Um, otherwise, go to Amazon, go to Barnes and Noble. Um, it, ultimately, the book is about Psalm 23. I just invested a few years and studied the historical cultural backdrop of Judaism at the time that David would have recited Psalm 23. We know it's not written through his own hand. 
Psalm 23, as we have in our current Bible, is not in 10th century BCE Hebrew. What we do know, however, is King David did uh, recite it according to tradition. And the words that he recited or sung are very applicable to our life today, especially when we understand where uh, the shepherd boy who became king uh, is coming from. So Grace in the Valley, it's, it's something I'm very proud of. I'm excited to share it with the world. And it was born out of an experience I had with God just walking through Psalm 23. Man, that's we're looking forward to that. In fact, Jared and I were at a at a minister's retreat that you were at, and you you did a message from Psalm twenty three that was just very powerful, and I'm sure that's reflected in the content of this book. So, I'm sure this is going to be uh, a real uh, source of strength to leaders' hearts. So, thanks for investing uh, uh, thank your you. time and stewarding your gift well. Um, Heath, we like to end our podcast with a little uh, portion called David's Eats, and uh, you of all <laughs> you of all our guests should. Uh, should not be surprised by this, as you and I have yes. shared some wonderful food adventures together, and uh, periodically send each other pictures of what we have, what we're currently eating. Um, yes. But uh, this is a big question. You get to travel a lot, and uh, so you uh, have access to, to probably some great eats. But what's the best thing you've eaten, maybe in the last few weeks? Okay, in the last few weeks, gazpacho, which is a cold soup in Spain. Hmm. So again, I just arrived back from Spain a few days ago, and uh, one of the what I loved about it is if you if you've never been to Spain, the ham in Spain is unbelievable. Come it's on. unlike anything you've ever had. Yes, and um, so they sprinkled some fresh ham on top of the gazpacho, which is like an olive oil tomato based soup of goodness and um it, it was it's by far the best thing i've eaten in the last uh two weeks however the best thing i've eaten in the last two days was my daughter dallin made me my once a year blackberry jam cake with brown sugar uh buttercream icing called panouche or maybe i'm not pronouncing that right i'm from iowa i'm not sure how to pronounce these fancy uh, culinary <laughs> names but it's a blackberry jam cake with brown sugar buttercream and i get it once a year i ate half of the cake myself in two and a half days and it was amazing so anyway thank god for blackberry jam cake and gazpacho Amen. If you don't if you don't believe in god's goodness you just need to have some <laughs> blackberry jam cake <laughs> Man, hey, he's so much. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, this is the Multiply Podcast. We're gonna have him back on, so check us out next time.